0: August 21st, 1955. The small rural town of Kelly, Kentucky is settling in for the night, getting ready for the day of farm work that most of the residents will do come the next morning. Some are cleaning dinner, some are playing various games of cards with family and friends. Children play and chase each other throughout their homes, and this night is like any other, but not for long. One particular farmhouse is about to go through an event. An event that will turn this sleepy little farm town into the epicenter of a major chapter in ufology and alien research for years to come. A night full of yelling, gunshots, and alien beings is about to ascend into this forever changed town. Get ready, the Kelly Greenmen are here. Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole. The infinite rabbit hole i'm jeremy i am your host feels great to be back in the host seat it's been a little bit but we got jake and jeff who brought us through some pretty wild paths in the infinite rabbit hole man those were a blast because i got to kind of sit back and be a uh let's say a tourist i was a tourist they did a great job And I'm I'm looking heavily forward to their next two topics. I already know what they are, but I can't tell you. But you will find out one of them tonight when Jeff tells you exactly what the next topic that he will be covering is. And I think you guys are all going to like it a lot. But before we go ahead and get into my topic for the day, let's go ahead and bring in the old Jake and Jeff combo. Jake, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Jeremy. I'm glad to
1: be here. I'm glad to have you back in the host seat so I can do less work and just listen to you ramble on. Jeff, how are you doing?
2: (laughs) I'm pretty good. I just got back from my uh, time travel back to Atlantis. So uh, it's good to be back in uh, 2021.
0: Everyone's rushed tonight. So I had this brilliant idea yesterday to just say, hey, you guys, can you record tomorrow? And everyone, well, Jeff was like, (laughs) yeah, but... I'm also recording for my other show, by the way, if anybody doesn't know, that's the Shadow Band podcast. Check him out. He does some good stuff over there, too. And Jake kind of left me unanswered. So (laughs) I assumed that we were good to go. Unfortunately, that was not technically the case, but we're here and we're going to do it mostly because Jake loves me and he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. And he knows that I'm excited about talking uh, about this subject and uh he's being nice and he's gonna sit through it jake
2: and i are here because we don't want to get fired
0: yeah that that too you guys aren't gonna get fired (laughs) i was
1: installing a (laughs) cup holder on my motorcycle and i was perfectly content doing it but now here i am doing this and i'm content doing this too so
0: yeah (laughs) well by the time this comes out we'll have hit our ten thousand listen mark actually we'll probably be quite over it because this thing isn't yet isn't set to drop for about a month from the day this is recording so from the future let's congratulate the past guys and uh, I just want to be the first to say congratulations and thank you for helping us get to 10,000 listens
1: you're very welcome you are welcome (laughs) (laughs) oh the listeners oh yes yes thank you for helping us to get to 10,000 listens (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> this whole like front part is going to be chopped up so bad. Any- yeah. Most of this, I'm just going to throw away. Let Anyways, <laughs> <for> let her <laughs> a- ride. All right. So today, we're going to be talking about the Kelly Green man, obviously, because you saw that on the title. Mm-hmm. This is one of my absolute favorite urban legends slash UFO slash alien stories. I've ever heard. This thing has grasped grasped my interest and my imagination like no other for a very, very long time. And I'm curious to kind of put this out there and see what you guys think about it. Because I'm expecting two different feelings about it. I'm expecting one of you guys to be like, no, it's all bullshit. And then somebody else to be like, you know what, there might be something here. Because there was a lot of research done onto this, obviously, because I love doing research. And I bought a ton of books on it. I love reading. So I dove into some really, really good stuff, including books by the daughter of one of the main characters in the story that we're going to go over tonight. So we got a lot of, I, I would say, pieces of the puzzle that aren't really filled in by a lot of other shows or websites or anything. I'm gonna add some stuff in here that a lot of people don't know and I don't see it being referenced on websites and other books or uh, documentaries about the Kelly Green Men or YouTube videos, I'm just not seeing it. So you're gonna get that information here because I took the time to read the books. So I'm gonna go ahead and regurgitate that onto you guys. but. Before we get going, Jake, Jeff, do you guys have any questions, or do you guys have any initial feelings about the Kelly Green Men?
2: I know nothing about the Kelly Green Men. This is 100% new to me, so.
1: I also know nothing about the Kelly Green Men. I thought that that was someone's name, until you <laughs> kind of gave me the, the cliff notes of it, and I was just like, oh, oh, I get it, the Kelly Green Men, ah, <laughs> so... You have two. It sounds like you got two guys that are just going to be reactionary. And I mean, honestly, that might be the best way to gauge our what we feel about the whole thing.
0: Okay, so I'm going to ask a question now and I want you guys to answer it at the end of the show. The question that I'm going to ask is urban legend or real story. Okay. Mm -hmm. so once we get through the whole thing, I'll re ask that. And I want to hear you guys' takes, because there's some interesting stuff here. Cool? Cool. 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 All right, let's dive into the Kelly Greenman slash Hopkinsville Goblins. Some people who know the story of the Kelly Greenman, also known as the Hopkinsville Goblins, label the events of August 21st in 1955 as a premier event in ufology and alien studies. There were 11 people present on the farmhouse in Kelly, a small town in Christian County, Kentucky. The farmhouse was known as the Langford home. These were the people present. Now, just to give you guys a roster of everyone there, because we're going to talk about most of them in length. Some of them are going to kind of be pushed aside and we won't hear from them for most of the story. But the most important uh, and the oldest at 50 years old, we have Miss Glennie Langford. She's the owner of the property. Uh, she is a church-going and God-respecting woman. She had a ton of respect from everyone present that night. So we're going to get into some situations where she's talking or some investigators are doing some investigating. Police officers are questioning and military and the media. Uh, back then, you the media was newspapers mostly mm-hmm. and magazine articles. Uh, Everyone said that she was a very respectable woman, and you know she was just that really nice fifty-year-old woman. Next to her, we have her three young children that were present that night. At twelve years old, we have Lonnie Langford. Ten years old, we have Charlton Langford, and at seven, we have little Mary Langford. Along with her three younger children, two of her older sons were also present that night. Now, the first one was Elmer Sutton, a.k.a. Lucky. And that's how we're going to refer to him mostly in this, in this story. Uh, he's 25 years old. He's one of the more active characters in this story, so you're going to hear a lot about Lucky. He worked with his wife at the time and his best friend and his wife at a traveling circus. The other older son is John Charlie Sutton, a.k.a. JC. You're going to hear a little bit about JC. We're not going to dive into him too much, but he, he will pop up in the story. JC is uh, Glennie's older son that still lives with her at the farmhouse. Now, JC is going to pop up a little bit tonight. He's got some major roles, but for the most part, he's kind of a side character, except for one particular area, and you'll, you'll get, we'll get to that. Now, the three next people are people that are not related to Mrs. Glennie Langford. We have Vera Sutton. She's 29 years old. She is Lucky's wife. We have Aileen Sutton. She is J.C.'s wife. And then we have O.P. Baker, which is Aileen's brother. She's married to J.C., who is the son of Aileen. And then her brother also lives or visits. He's a regular visitor. Also spends some nights there at the, the farmhouse. His name's O.P. Uh, now, these three characters, you don't hear too much about them. They're going to jump in and out. Uh, but very, very minimal impact on the story itself. Um, along with Miss Langford's kin, there were Billy Ray T- Taylor and his wife, June. Now, Billy Ray is 21 years old. He is Lucky's best friend. He's said to be a little over descriptive and known to bend the truth a little bit. And he also obviously worked at the carnival, the traveling carnival with Lucky. Huge character here. He's going to actually start the whole thing um, and he's going to be a part of quite a bit of the story then you have june taylor who's billy ray's wife probably the most affected by the events that night uh she was very standoffish and very frightened due to the due to the experience when you come to the point of view of the investigators and the questioners investigators were most convinced by her demeanor that there was in fact something that happened that night like the way that she was acting The only way she would act this way is if she was really this fucking scared or something really happened to her. Before we get going, is there any questions about the characters? Mm, Nope. Pretty straightforward so far. Yeah, I'm ready to go. All right, so let's get into the main story of this awesome, awesome urban legend. The night of August 21st, 1955 began with all the adults playing cards after a full dinner. The children were playing in another room in the house, and around 7 p.m., Billy Ray Taylor headed outside to the well with a bucket to pump water for a drink. It is important to remember that in 1955, the U.S. did not adopt the practice of daylight savings time yet. If they were practicing daylight savings time, the time would have been 8 p.m. This is important because 7 p.m. in August of 1955 in Kentucky would have been darker than it is today daylight savings time wasn't incorporated into US practices into 1974. While Billy Ray was outside, he noticed a bright light flash across the sky. He would later go on to describe it as a disc-shaped object, with an array of different colors trailing behind it, and a strange hissing sound that was being emitted from the object. Billy Ray also claimed that the object landed about a quarter mile away from his position, behind a tree line, and was able to see a pulsing light coming from that direction. When Billy Ray returned to his house and relayed the experience that he just had to the rest of the household, he was met with disbelief and sarcasm. Lucky Sutton and Billy Ray exchanged words and the whole family seemed to be upset after Billy Ray continued to state that he knew what he saw. Soon after, everyone in the farmhouse calmed down except for Billy Ray. About an hour after the argument had started, the dogs in the yards began barking loudly. Billy Ray and Lucky were the first two to exit the house to see what the dogs were alarming to. As they left the building, the dogs hid under the house and fell silent. Along the tree line, the men saw what looked like the silhouette of a person approaching the house. As the silhouette approached the farmhouse, the men believed that what they were seeing was not a man, but a creature of some sorts. As described by all 11 people present that night, The description goes mostly as follows. The creature stood three and a half to four feet tall, seemed to approach with their arms in the air as giving a universal sign of, I mean no harm. The skin was silvery gray. They had large heads and large ears. The eyes were small and well spaced out across the face. The eyes seemed to glow green or yellow and gave a very crystalline look to them at times. They had long arms and short legs. At the end of the long arms, they had small hands with long fingers and large claws. Immediately after this realization, Billy Ray Taylor and Lucky Sutton ran back inside and locked the door to give them time to load their guns for the imminent confrontation with this strange creature. Billy Ray armed himself with a 22 caliber pistol. Now, some stories will say it was a .22 rifle, but the story that I, I heard directly from uh, the daughter of Lucky, that's actually whose daughter I, was, I read the books from, it's Lucky's daughter. She said it was a pistol, so that's what I went with. And Lucky came packing a 20-gauge shotgun. Everybody then met in the living room to discuss what just happened in the front yard of the Langford Sutton farmhouse. At this time, all of the men were armed. Lucky t- took a position at one of the entrances to the house, and Billy Ray took up the other. Miss Langford was getting quite tired of these boys playing their silly pranks and wanted to get to the bottom of this. So she joined Billy Ray and told him that she wanted to see what they were all stirred up about. Billy Ray replied with, All due respect, man. You don't want to see what we just saw, and I hope you don't have to. A few minutes later, Miss Langford screamed after she witnessed a creature approaching, matching the description given by the men. Lucky ran to the door that Billy Ray and his mother were at, and took aim at the creature and shot it with his 12-gauge shotgun. The creature flipped backwards and got up on its feet and ran. Well, actually, it was more like it floated off into the tree line. Now, that's something that's kind of important. This is, uh, this is how they, they say that these things moved around. They didn't actually uh, make contact with the ground with their feet. They actually just floated off. Um, Very shortly after that, J.C. Sutton noticed that the creature was back and looking in through the living room window. J.C. raised his shotgun that he armed himself with and blasted directly at the window, hitting the creature right in the face. Lucky and Billy Ray ran outside to make sure the creature was dead this time, and as Billy Ray made it out the door and about to go down the steps under the porch overhang, a large clawed hand reached down and was about to grab onto his hair. Aileen Sutton, JC's wife, quickly grabbed him and pulled him back into the house. After this, Lucky ran out the same way and immediately pointed his gun at the creature who attempted to grab Billy Ray and blasted it off the roof, sending it into some overgrown weeds on the outside of their lawn. Billy Ray followed Lucky and as he was stepping out of the house and into the yard, he noticed that another creature was in a large maple tree on the border of their lawn. Lucky and Billy Ray both took aim and blasted the creature out of the tree, but instead of falling, the creature floated to the ground slowly and disappeared into the surrounding darkness as it fled the area. The men went on to follow the creature into the dark woods. Inside, the women became nervous and told the children to go hide under beds in the other rooms. As Lucky and Billy Ray were coming back to the yard, after unsuccessfully looking for the creature that fell out of the tree, They spotted another creature peeking out from around the corner of the house. Lucky shot the creature with a shotgun, sending it flying backwards with a strange metallic sound. This sent the creature floating in the air and onto a fence on their property. Lucky and Billy Ray chased the creature and shot it again once it landed on the fence, sending its floating body into the darkness. The event continued for hours, with creatures showing up in windows, scratching on the roof, floating across the lawn and sc- scaring the crap out of everyone in the farmhouse at night. After an encounter with the creatures, Lucky thought he noticed one trying to block its eyes from the light of his lantern. So this is where we get a little bit of information from Miss Geraldine Sutton Stith. This is Lucky's daughter, uh, Geraldine. Um, she added this little piece that apparently wasn't really found anywhere else. But after Lucky had noticed that the creature blocked his eyes from his little portable lantern, he then told everyone to go around the house and turn on any light they could. So there was one hole in this story, and I'll get back to this here in a second once I get past this little section, but just make a little tab right here because this is where I'm gonna come back to. So after he told everyone to go around the house and turn on any light they could, the men remained on high alert for about 20 minutes after that. After those 20 or so minutes had passed without another incident, everyone headed back inside to the farmhouse. Later on, it was described by the adults who experienced this event that they believed there were anywhere between 12 to 15 different individual creatures, but they were almost certain that only two of them ever came into the lighted area of the yard or approached the house. The others were able to be seen in the dark areas surrounding their yard due to their their illuminated skin. The creatures never made a threatening gesture towards the people in the house that night, other than the one that almost grabbed Billy Ray by the hair, but even that had been gentle. At around 11pm that night, the family regrouped and discussed leaving the property. The entire ordeal had become very expensive very quickly. They had expended many rounds of ammunition that did very little, if anything, in their efforts. The house was riddled with bullet holes and had windows and doors shot out. It was time for them to leave, and they all agreed. Now, before I move on to the next part of the story, I want to take a step back. So, there was that 20 minutes immediately after Lucky said, "Go turn on all the lights." um, There was there was 20 minutes of absolutely no action. I just want to make sure one that you guys understand this is information that others don't that I haven't seen anywhere else, other than in Miss Geraldine Sutton Stiths book or books and this is important because she makes a connection that others don't and yes it has to do with light uh so i just wanted to to highlight that because that is something that you're that i haven't heard anywhere else um this is something that i found that that filled the gap in the story that i was very interested in and it filled in very very well so before I move on, do you guys have any questions? Do they bleed? No. Well, it's it's tough to say. You're going to see something uh, in the next little bit, but for the most part, no, not really.
1: Oh, so I'm just curious because they're like getting blasted with the shotguns and all kinds of stuff, and then they're like floating away and disappearing and everything, and that's great, but you know if they have eyeballs and they're they've got hands and all kinds of stuff you got to assume they have some kind of blood inside their their bodies so right you know the thing that would lead me to maybe believe that this would be a real occurrence would be is if there's evidence of uh wounded or some kind of you know damage to these uh these
0: creatures I don't, I don't want to ruin too much of it, but I will let you know a little bit. And this is, you know, people are going to immediately say that this is an urban legend and it's complete bullshit. But the part of the story that is important to know is that, no, these things seem to not have taken very much damage, if any at all. Um, That may be changed later on when we hear from somebody else that comes into and talks to somebody <laughs> i don't want to give too much away all right but we'll, all get, right. we'll I'll, get we'll get i'll we'll hold my horses it. okay all right so moving on to the next part so they're leaving the house billy ray and lucky both had vehicles parked outside the farmhouse all 11 occupants that night piled into both vehicles and traveled eight miles south to the police department of hopkinsville Immediately they began telling the officers on duty about how a spaceship landed in a forest surrounding the farmhouse and what they described as alien beings were attacking them for the better part of the last three hours. Sounds like a whole bunch of Kentucky hillbillies, right? Yeah. We're <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Must be some good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh I love this story. It's awesome. In total. Billy Ray Taylor told the police that he used four cases of bullets of his .22 caliber, totaling 200 rounds, and Lucky and J.C. both used many boxes of shotgun shells in the process of the events on the property. The police were concerned, and due to the seriousness portrayed by everyone involved, they were also interested in investigating the incident. Hopkinsville Chief of Police Russell Greenwell and Deputy Sheriff of Christian County George Batts personally took the questioning of the Langfords, Suttons, and Taylors that night. The questioning and statement documentation took roughly 45 minutes, and after statements were finished, Chief Greenwell was convinced that they were going to need backup and extra firepower before heading out to the Langford Sutton farmhouse. He requested more officers of his own and of the Sheriff's Office to join them in the approach of the farmhouse, and as a precaution, he requested that everyone be armed with extra ammunition. Chief Greenwell also requested that the officer at the front desk call the nearby Fort Campbell to see if they had anyone available if needed for such a possible interaction with unknown beings. The roster of officers that came out to assist with the approach to the farmhouse was Chief Russell Greenwell of Hopkinsville PD, Deputy Sheriff George Batts, Officer T.C. Gross, Officer Doris Francis, Officer Richard Digby and Officer Gray Salter, as well as unexpected help from two state troopers by the names of R.N. Ferguson and G.W. Bailey, who heard the request for help through the radio, and two more state troopers from the Madison Detachment, two deputy sheriffs from Hopkins County, and four military policemen, or MPs, from Fort Campbell. This made a total of 17 law enforcement agents on their way to the Langford Sutton farmhouse in Kelly, Kentucky. That's a, that's a lot of people to throw out there mm-hmm. for what, you know, initially is, is heard of like the story that they're being told is that <laughs> we're getting attacked by alien beings in the middle of the night in this town in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Kentucky, <laughs> you know, that's 17 people, right? And on top of the 17 people, also along for the ride was Joe Doris, the reporter and photographer of the Kentucky News-era newspaper. On their way to the farmhouse, two officers reported seeing two objects looking like meteors streaking through the sky towards the farmhouse emitting a very strange sound. At around 12.30 a.m., everyone was there and began investigating the property. No signs of the creatures were present at the time. No footprints. Damaged greenery or spaceship in the woodlands. So the officials began searching for alcohol to explain the story. That wasn't present either. Miss Langford did not allow alcohol on her property, and the adults who were staying there at the time knew very well of her rules. Nobody showed signs of drinking either. Now remember, no alcohol, only acid. <laughs> 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 oh, could you imagine if like the that well was. That well was spiked with like acid strips or something. <laughs> <laughs> that, would, that would explain a lot, actually. But what they did find was extensive damage to the house caused by 22 caliber bullets and 20 and 12 gauges. The casings and shells were littered all over the place, and the numbers reported by the men earlier seemed to be about right. But what really caught the eye of the law enforcement was the glowing stain in the grass from what was explained to the officers as the color of the creatures glow, probably caused by the one they shot off the fence in that same exact area. The strange thing about this illuminated spot on the ground was that you could only see the illumination when you were approaching the spot, but once you got to it, it simply looked like grass with no shine at all. This was backed and confirmed by the army MPs that were present reporting that the stain in the grass was in fact present, But nobody took samples so in one of the books i had Mm -hmm. there's actually a photo of that report like you can actually see that report that report was written by one of those mps from fort campbell saying that there was a very strange glowing stain on the ground that could only be seen from one er air uh one direction or from from a certain angle from it but as you approached it it disappeared this was there but I kind of get into that a little bit later, too. No samples were taken, by the way. So, this is kind of uh, Miss Geraldine Sutton Stith, the, the author of these books, and Lucky's daughter. In her book, she's super, super pissed off that there was never a sample taken of this. It's like, and I agree 100%. I mean, if you see something like that, why don't you take a sample? Mm-hmm. Seems kind of sketchy to me. Yeah. <clears throat> So the investigation was called off after about two hours of searching, and the official word was that there was not enough evidence present to prove that the people who witnessed firsthand the events of that night had a shootout with unknown alien creatures. But many of the investigators there that night agree that something happened, and if they had ever been briefed on what to look for in a shootout with aliens, this would probably be what it looks like. The plan was to have a small investigation team come back in the daylight and do a more thorough investigation with the help of the sun. After everyone left the scene and the 11 occupants of the farmhouse that night were left alone, again, everyone decided it would be best to go to sleep for the remainder of this crazy night. By 2.30 a.m., everyone was in their beds and sleeping except for Mrs. Lankford. At about 3.30 a.m., Miss Langford describes hearing a scratching sound on the roof above her bed, and as she looked toward the window of her room, she was shocked to see the creatures were back, and one was watching her through her window. Miss Langford attempted to make someone else in the house aware of their presence by softly calling out for the others. Her plan was to no longer shoot at the creatures. After being questioned by the officers and coming to the realization that it seemed they meant no harm, Miss Langford was curious what would happen if they did not act hostile towards them. But Lucky came bursting through the door and blasted the creature out of the window in the face with a 20-gauge shotgun. There you go. (laughs) A real man. (laughs) This time, the battle with the strange alien creatures lasted until promptly 5.15 (laughs) a.m.
1: I love it. (laughs)
0: At this time, the encounters with the creatures stopped in the Langford Sutton farmhouse. Never saw the creatures again.
1: Lucky, lucky they're back. Let's let's be friendly. Yeah, sounds good.
0: (laughs) Gosh, I love it. (laughs) So that's the main story. I mean, there's a little bit of the post story that I still have to go through and a lot of other evidence that I have. But that's the, that's the main stories. What do you guys think? Uh, for, in, initial thoughts.
2: Go ahead, Jake. You first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> initial thoughts. Well,
1: I was trying to think about what other liquids I know of that have kind of a reflective sheen to them. And when you get all up on them, they don't anymore. And the best thing I could think about was a puddle of water. The thing about like light reflecting off the puddle of water, but not necessarily if you go get right up on top of it, does it have the same reflectivity,
0: right? Anybody that's investigating knows what water looks like. That's my assumption. I don't know. Maybe that's why they
1: didn't take a sample of it. They were like, yeah, it's wet out here. (laughs) (laughs) You got dew in the grass. Like, what do you want from us? (laughs) All these guys out here smoking crack in the woods. Smoking crack at this farmhouse and talking about the aliens. Um, I love the fact that they sent that many people because I don't know of any other story where anybody, uh, any um, police report has any amount of credibility to it to the point where they uh, will send a large force to go investigate. You know, usually it's just like, OK, you know, whatever you say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like good luck to you. And then they're just left on their own. But it's funny, it's well it's interesting that they sent such a large group and it's funny that in the report that their house is completely just shot to hell. <laughs> it's just awesome.
0: <laughs> it's it's like one of those things where it's like, okay, come back in the morning and let's let let's let the, the first shift deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's just it's like it's too late, man. I'm I'm running on fumes now. Just go away.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know initially it's it's interesting it definitely has my attention I'll give you that much especially because there seems to be a lot of um, actual police reporting and investigating and all kinds of stuff it's not just this person said that this happened to their family and then there's really nothing to back it up right so that's cool
2: okay so let me just put a let me just burst your bubble a little bit with some conspiracy stuff are you ready for this when did this happen? 1955, you music keyed right? Up. Yeah, yeah. Cue, cue the conspiracy Things. This happened in 1955, right? And it was at Fort Campbell. So the here's what I'm. The first thing that popped into my mind was, this is right after Roswell, right? Now, uh, you guys know, and the listeners may not know yet, but I'm very much into um, space is fake and. Uh, a lot of it is just like psyops to get us all thinking about the wrong thing. But what's interesting to me is that in 1953, MK Ultra was sanctioned, and there's a whole lot of conspiracy theories about the CIA uh, being involved with uh, like the counterculture movement. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Crosby, Stills and Nash. I mean, you name it, right? Janis Joplin. And so what I'm thinking is was the Kelly Greenman, it could have been two things. It could have been some secret projects going on at Fort Campbell and maybe <clears throat> these creatures got out or were let out or were put out for a specific reason to freak people out. But the other side of me thinks like maybe the CIA was doing some MK Ultra mind control shit. And, you know, Jimi Hendrix served at Fort Campbell. So it's like You know, I don't know. Maybe it's some sort of uh mind control psyop that they were testing on these this poor family and they were tricking them with aliens to help further along the Roswell alien uh narrative. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where my my thoughts are right now with this.
0: Dang. I like that you brought up MK Ultra. That's something I have not really thought about. That's interesting. Because you're right, there was a lot of shit going on at this time.
2: Yeah, and especially at Fort Campbell. And, and I mean, if you look at, um, you know, uh, the Night Stalkers, right? The, the supposed special ops team, the Night Stalkers, you know, the, the black helicopters of the whatever. I don't know, like it just make. I, I don't really know how to put all this together because like this, this uh, Kelly Greenman story is brand new to me, but the location, the time, all of that is just making me want to dig into that to see if there is some connection between either mind control or uh, the alien psyop
0: or whatever. You know what I mean? Well, maybe we can do like a uh, post episode and maybe we, we can fill in the holes a little bit there. But I do have some stuff that I think you'll be interested in that I will get it, get to. I did find some some stuff that I had to actually do some some deep personal research, like something that I had to go past the books for uh, that I think you're going to like, Jeff. Quick question.
1: Yeah. So MKUltra, is that where they were giving people LSD? Yes. Okay. I was just going to be like, I don't know if I know. Okay. Yeah, I was that, like, I don't they're really they're... know if I know what MKUltra is.
2: Well, there was a lot of offshoot programs. Um, it wasn't just LSD experiments. I mean, they were literally doing like, all types of different mind control and psyop stuff. You know what I mean? They were do- using radio project waves stargate. And- there was yeah. all kinds of shit. Uh, artichoke. There's a whole bunch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Some very interesting stuff that we're going to have to get into later on for sure. All right. So let's talk a little bit of after the shootout during the next couple of days, many people showed up at the farmhouse wanting the story and tours of the property. Reporters from Kentucky, Tennessee, and Indiana came to the property for first-hand reports on the events of the famous night. The story was broadcasted on radio stations locally at first and printed in newspapers in many states around the country. The most famous and intriguing investigator to show up, among many, was probably Dr. J. Allen Hynek, Uh was an astronomy professor... (laughs) I I had a feeling that you would know this name. Uh (laughs) Dr. Hynek was an astronomy professor at Ohio State University at the time, but later went on to become the chairman of the astronomy department at Northwestern University. But the most important credential that Dr. Hynek held was as a consultant for the U.S. Air Force's Project Blue Book. For those that may be unfamiliar with Project Blue Book, this is the Air Force's project that they use to investigate UFO sightings and determine national security concerns in regards to these sightings. Yes, this is a real thing. It has been well documented and admitted to by the government for many years now. Dr. Heinick also went on to be the founder of the Center for UFO Studies, also known as SUFOS. It was Dr. Heinick's and many other investigators' opinions that there was no signs of a hoax by those involved in the events of that night. What do you have to add, Jeff? I know you got something to add. Ah, man. Okay, look, this, I mean, I don't,
2: this is something that I got to dig into because I don't want to sound like an idiot. You know what I'm saying? But yes, I'm familiar with Nick, and this is just furthering my suspicions that the military was, you know, was doing some sort of psyop or some sort of, uh, it could have been real. It could have been genetic stuff. I don't know. They were pushing the alien agenda real hard at that time, along with mind control. So I, I'm starting to think that that encounter might've actually been part of that psyop somehow. I got to dig into that, but mm-hmm. this is definitely where I'm going. So basically
1: they're just shooting at nothing. They're just, they just think that they, they're fighting well, no. aliens and they're just blowing holes in their house.
2: Well, that could be. I mean, they were doing all kinds of mind control shit, so it could have just been, you know, they could have been projecting things into their minds that weren't really there, or it could have been actual creatures. They, but you know, mm. um, they could have been created Gremlins. by, they could have been created by the military, or the CIA, or somebody, you know, as part of pushing this agenda. You know what I mean? Fake aliens.
0: I love this story, man. That this urban legend or whatever you want to call it, man, is awesome. And I actually didn't know that Dr. Heineck was a part of this at all until I started reading some books. And I'm like, where the fuck do I know this name from? Dr. Heineck, Dr. Heineck. And I'm like, I'm like, Dr. Heineck, Project Blue, Blue Book. Oh, fuck, that's right. He was part of Project Blue Book, dude. And I got excited. This lends credibility. There's something that happened that night. This wasn't a made up story. What exactly happened that night is a huge question, but something happened, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, all of these people are real. The reason why I included the names of all the officers, because I saw documents that literally listed the names of the officers and their reports. These were real people. This investigation happened. This happened. Something happened. What was it? Good question. Let's see if we can get to the bottom of it. What do you say? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So the events of that night has adopted many different titles. The Hopkinsville Encounter, the Kelly Shootout, the Green Men case, and many different combinations of the words Hopkinsville, Kelly, Green Men, Goblin, Shootout, Encounter, and Case. Put them all together in any combination. You've got something that describes this. You you literally just punch those words into Google, and you're going to get something about this case. Uh, The creatures themselves have been known to be called many things as well. Aliens, goblins, fairies, but most famously, the Green Men, because of the connection between the color of Kelly Green and the town of Kelly, where the incident took place. But nobody from that night ever described the creatures as green. They were gray. So uh, just a little bit more information on Project Blue Book. Uh, The real strangeness of the story begins with Project Blue Book. The now unclassified documents incorporated in Project Blue Book do not incorporate this story. According to those that did work in relation to this project, the claim is that Project Blue Book does not investigate UFO stories that include sightings of alien beings because the Air Force describes all encounters with aliens as hoaxes. But there are also many other people that claim that the original documents did in fact hold many pages on the investigation of the Kelly shootout, but were purposely removed before being declassified. That's all I have. I don't have specific names. I couldn't find them. I was trying to find them, but I did find three different references that said there are people out there that claim that the Kelly story actually was incorporated in the original Project Bluebeam files.
1: So what you're going to try to tell me that it's possible that the government would try to hide something from people?
0: No. no. Ever, dude. Come no. on. Come on. No. no. Nah. Not not the U.S. government. They're amazing. Never mind. I'm not going to get into
1: this. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Just a missile hits his house. <laughs> he knows too uh, much.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, fuck that guy who left that, that review for us, calling us fucking... Pogs of the of the Navy and God, what was the term he used? It bothered me so much. That we
1: believe everything that the government tells us or something. I
0: don't nah, know. He said controlled uh controlled opposition. Yeah, he called us controlled opposition. Little fuck. Oh, fuck that guy. It. Anyways, so <laughs> so how can we explain this? There are many different theories around this story that attempt to answer things such as What were these creatures and what did they see in the sky that night? The creatures have been described as being owls or local kids or monkeys that were painted silver by some people. (laughs) (laughs) Owls. Well, why not? (laughs) Maybe silver painted monkeys. Come on, seriously. Raccoons. And kids. (laughs) I would hope not because that would be a lot of dead children that were never (sighs) discovered or reported missing the craft that was seen by billy ray taylor and the police officers that night are believed to uh, by many as being a meteor because there was a meteor shower that was going on at the time um no um now one theory that does make sense and that is the theory of the green glowing spot in lawn being called what's known as foxfire This makes sense because foxfire is a phenomenon that occurs from the bioluminescence of some different types of fungi that grow on dead wood. This is commonly seen in the colder months in eastern North America from a mushroom known as the honey mushroom or taxonomically known as Armillaria malia. Now... As for the entire story, it is theorized that alcohol was a major factor in the story as the area this happens in is famously known for moonshiners and illegal distilleries at the time. But Miss Langford owned the property and did not allow such on her land and the investigators at night concluded that alcohol was not a factor. Then of course, there are those that think the entire thing was a hoax, which honestly could make sense. Think about it. This group was well-known for being part of a traveling circus. Uh, This could have been a very well-thought-of plot that was going to be used as a tool to increase sales in some way, but after it grew to be too large, the Langford, Suttons, and Taylors abandoned this plan as it would be too obvious as to what they were attempting to do. But most people that know this story or have investigated it during any period of time come to a similar conclusion. This was a very real encounter with unknown creatures and could have possibly been the best documented case of alien contact in North American history. All right, guys, we're at another break spot. Any updates to how you feel about the story?
2: Kind of. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. You know, I'm on the same line of thought as I've been, but I got a little bit more thought in mind, but I'm not going to share it just yet. Okay.
0: So, Jake, any updates from you on your feelings about the story? It sounds
1: a lot more believable that something did in fact occur, whether it was aliens. I mean, you know my answer, but right. that there was an occurrence. Cause right away I was just like, I was like, well, there's a lot of people involved. Sounds like something did happen, but there's a heck of a lot of fabrication involved.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm more leaning towards that something happened. There was a lot of documentation that, that, that thing happened the way it said it happened um, and there's a little bit of fabrication that happened or that was involved.
0: So like less fabrication than before, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of documentation, a lot more than I thought there was.
2: Just to touch on the traveling circus thing, there is a uh, talk in conspiracy land about the traveling circuses being a part of social engineering, like that whole psyop, like that kind of like the World Fairs in a way where, the, you know, these traveling circuses, um, were sent out essentially to um, push certain narratives and kind of socially engineer the population into believing or not believing certain things. So it's also interesting.
0: Hmm. I could see that. All right, so we ready to move on, gentlemen? Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's talk about Miss Geraldine Sutton-Stith, the author of these two books. Geraldine Sutton-Stith is the author of two books. There it is. All right. That I read for research for this episode. She is also the daughter of Lucky Sutton. She was born after the event that took place in Kelly. Soon after Lucky, Billy Ray, June, and Vera went back to the carnival, Lucky and Vera split up, and Lucky came back home. That is when he fell in love with her mother, and her and her four siblings were born fairly rapidly after that. They, they, they didn't waste no time. They just got right to it. Nice. Between her mother's first marriage and her marriage to Lucky Sutton, There were 12 total children, no twins, no triplets. In her books, she expresses the stories that were told to her by her father. And because of this firsthand material, she is able to fill in holes that many people leave in the story. She says that during the time there was a meteor shower that was happening frequently for a few weeks. And according to her book, Alien Legacy, Earlier that night, there were many others that had witnessed two strange objects in the sky that were clearly different from the meteors and the meteor shower. A state police officer expressed that the lights made sound like artillery when approaching and sounded like whining when they passed overhead. A farmer just south of the Lankford Sutton farmhouse also witnessed these objects that night. A state trooper on Route 41 witnessed the lights heading north an investigator at Fort Campbell witnessed a light heading north over the army base that night as well all of these happened at roughly 6 30 p.m the same night of the events on the farmhouse now that's something that's pretty interesting there is that all of these things were reported or documented by these different people spread around the same area at almost the exact same time There was some police reports that were filed because of this. The the farmer who came forward said that it happened around 630. And the person on the base in Fort Campbell also said it happened around 630. And the events of that night at the farmhouse, if you remember when I first talked about 7 o'clock, because I had talked about the whole daylight savings time, and Mm -hmm. it was actually more like 8 o'clock. So it all makes sense. It all lines up because – Every everybody that I just listed there was south of Kelly Campbell, uh, Fort Campbell is south of Kelly, Kentucky. And I'll get a little bit more into that here in a minute, too. Um, But moving on, according to the same book, she mentions that there were two boys named Billy Thomas and Ed Stone. that were working on repairing a wagon wheel just down the road from the farmhouse that also reported seeing the craft. They told of a blue light surrounding the craft with a tail of red and pink light streaking behind it. The boys thought nothing much of the event due to the closeness of Fort Campbell. They thought it was just the army testing out aircraft. Her books were f- full of really awesome additions to the story that really helped with the legitimacy of the events that night. And that fill in some of the gaps that people noticed in the story and some gaps that nobody ever knew were there. According to her, Billy Ray did witness the craft flying through the sky, but was really alarmed when Lucky's old dog tucked tail and hid under the house immediately after the event. That's when he began to worry and felt the need to alarm the rest of the people there. She also mentioned how earlier in the day, Billy Ray and Lucky went into town with their wives to visit two of Lucky's other brothers, Frank and Junior. During that time, Lucky had played a joke on Billy Ray that left him embarrassed in front of Frank Jr. Billy Ray and Lucky apparently had a friendship that was heavy on practical jokes. So when Billy Ray came in scared of the event that just happened, Lucky thought this was his way of attempting to get back at him. Hence the reason why the others in the farmhouse that night did not take Billy Ray seriously at first. Another detail that she added to the story was that before the family left for town to contact a police station, Lucky had figured out that the creatures did not like the light from the lanterns. This led Lucky to telling everyone to go through the house and turn on every light. This is what is believed to be the reason why they had a break in the action which allowed them the time to head to Hopkinsville. And the reason why the second wave of attacks ended at about 5.15 a.m., that was around the same exact time that the sun was scheduled to rise that morning. She also told of how the next morning Billy Ray had gone hunting with a friend and claimed to see two military aircraft flying around the woods by the farmhouse. Now, I just want to point out here, Billy Ray, like I said before, when I was introducing him as a character, he was known to be an exaggerator. Uh, He was the only one that was really like even the police officers, the investigators said. This guy's adding a little bit more to the story than everyone else. Everyone else's stories were right on, on cue with each other. Like, they had their stories down pat. Nothing really changed between everybody else until you got to Billy Ray, who added stuff. Like, he exaggerated certain things and... Police and investigators kind of caught on to that. And he was also described by Lucky to his daughter as kind of being a practical joker, a a guy that exaggerates the truth and such and such. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole seeing military aircraft the next morning, kind of a little sketchy, and it is coming from Billy Ray. So take that with a grain of salt. I threw it in there because it was an interesting tidbit, but I don't know how much I'm putting on there. I'm not putting a lot of weight on it, to be honest with you. In her second book, The Kelly Green Man, Alien Legacy Revisited, she claims to have been approached a few times from different people throughout her life with additional information on that night. One couple approached her after she was talking at a library in Princeton, Kentucky, and the man claimed to have been stationed on Fort Campbell the night of August 21st, 1955. He claimed that a few men stole a gas that was able to take the form of anything the user said it to. And the bright idea was to scare some lonely hillbillies in rural Kentucky with a gas that looked like space aliens. (laughs) (sighs) All right. (laughs) Right. And you'll see that, you know, there's multiple people that come up to her. Not all of this is true because in order for it all to be true, it would have all had to happen at the same time. So let's just move on, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Another man approached her at her house while she and her husband were hosting friends in their sunroom. The man claimed to have a friend who was in the military branch untold, and the friend had told him that the Kelly Green men of Kentucky were real. He continues to say that roughly three miles away from the farmhouse, the military found a craft with three dead alien bodies that seemed to have suffered gunshots. He also claimed that the bodies were taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, where do we know that name from? One night, a man by the name of David Staples emailed her and claimed that he had held a friend's secret since 1955, and since his friend had passed away, he can now come out with the true story of what happened that night. He claimed that his friend had gotten a hold of an old-school projector, the one that would project images on a clear from a clear sheet of paper onto the front of the classroom and as many extension cords as he could get a hold of the (laughs) furthest he could get with the extension cords he had was the Lankford Sutton farm. He then went on to project pictures of alien creatures that he drew himself onto the property and in the trees of the yard. I love that one (laughs) because if that's true, that's hilarious. Moving on, another theory that one of her more metaphysically minded friends uh, had told her was that this sounded like a textbook visitation from fairies. And the first thing that I I don't know anything about fairy folk, but I know CJ does. So maybe if we do do that uh, follow up episode, maybe we can bring CJ on and after he listens to this episode and maybe he can fill us in with that.
2: You don't think I know anything about the Fae, bro? No, not at all. Wow. I'm offended. (laughs) What do you got? He's like, well, you're right. (laughs) What do you got? I don't know as much as CJ, but I know a little bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm still offended, though. So what do you got? Well, fill us in, man.
2: No, man. (laughs) No, no, no. No, we're going to get CJ on so I can shoot the shit with him. Because I miss CJ. I miss you, CJ.
0: CJ has a new show, by the way. I just want to plug that for everyone that's missing CJ. He does a new show called Casually Meta. It's actually really good. He, uh, he goes through a bunch of old video games or new video games. He sits down with a person who basically streams or plays that video game, and they talk about it. And he gives you news on it, a lot of updates, a lot of stuff that you won't find on the surface. Uh, he's doing a really good job with it. Uh, it's Very interesting. I listened to the first two, the, the Mortal Kombat one and the Dead by Daylight. Very good. He does a really good job and i also miss cj i miss ragging on cj but i i text him every once in a while just to give him shit
2: yeah he's still in our he's still in our circle of friends i talk to him every day
0: yeah me too that's
2: (laughs) not true i don't talk to him every day but you know
0: (laughs) i do i talk to him every day just like i reach out to you guys do you guys have any uh updated feelings about the story any updated questions or anything (sighs) I got a little
2: bit more on my on my theories about this, but I can wait. Oh, okay.
0: Jake? I know nothing. Good. I, I don't even know who I am anymore. Good. Moving on. <laughs> After Effects. After the events of that night and the following weeks, Glennie Langford was unable to continue living at her farmhouse. She no longer felt safe on the property in fear that the creatures would come back and was not a fan of all the people that were coming around and investigating. So she sold the farm and property and moved herself and all of the children into an apartment complex in Hopkinsville. She said that she felt safer there due to being closer to people. That's un- that, that tore me apart. Like, you know, obviously something happened that night. She did see some stuff, scared the crap out of her. She was a very proud woman who loved her farmhouse and her property. And she literally gave all that up to go move into an apartment complex all with her right. kids if anything that kind of in my mind that gives a little bit of validity to this story. Like that's something definitely happened because that's sad to me. Cause I, I, I want some property and maybe a farmhouse and stuff. And, How old was she? She was 50.
2: Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I can't bite my tongue anymore. So here's the thing, right? You guys <laughs> ever heard of, <laughs> you guys ever heard of my labs?
0: No, not at all. Nope. Please tell us.
2: Okay. So my labs, uh, is an anagram for military abductions so basically the concept is if an alien comes and abducts you then the military or the men in black right they come and abduct you afterwards so they can figure out what the aliens wanted and then they implant false memories so that the memory that you have of your abduction is not of the aliens it's actually of the military abduction Hmm. right so what i'm thinking is whatever aliens these people encountered weren't really the aliens. They were the my labs. And then later they were, um, I guess implanted with these new memories of the event. So I think an event happened and I think that it, what they're remembering is the my lab, not necessarily whatever they actually encountered.
0: It's interesting that you say that now I did not go into, I didn't go down that path. Uh, in my research but I have heard plenty of times uh, through past research especially reading things from like God, what's his name Whitley Striber, I think his name is like the book communion the alien the aliens or the greys or you know whoever we're talking about doing an abduction is really good at what they do and if there is no follow-up abduction by human sources that you will never know that any of this ever happened exactly um because they're really good at using screen memories or just doing it at a time when you're extremely vulnerable and you will literally never know that it happened i have seen that and heard read that whatever you want to call it a ton of times and that's very interesting i never heard of my labs before though that's that's interesting well at least i didn't hear the name i have definitely heard of the MIB or some other human uh, source or program following up abductions and being what you remember. I've definitely heard that, but I've never heard the name My Labs. That's very interesting. Maybe we'll have to dive into that here on Infinite Rabbit Hole too. Let us know. Well, man, now now you just made me think that maybe I did get abducted by aliens
1: that one time. I lost like two hours one time. Oh really, dude? Yeah. I have I have missing time too. I had it. Uh when i was When I was back in oceana, uh, back in really? Virginia, yep, I uh, left my barracks room. This was years and years and years ago, but I left my barracks room. I have OCD, and so I check uh-huh. things for me it 's my watch. I always check to see what time it is. You could ask me when, whenever I did something throughout the day, and i 'll probably be able to tell you exactly what time it was, but check the time on the microwave leave My room. Walk down the hallway, and then be like, "Oh, I forgot this." Go back in, and it's like two and a half hours later. And of course, I'm just like, "Okay, that's weird." So I hit up my uh, my buddy, and his dad was really big into UFOs and stuff, and swore that he had been abducted. And Mm -hmm. of course, he straight up was just like, "Oh yeah, no, you definitely got taken." And I'm like, "Okay." Uh. He's like, "Especially on a military base." And he was prior military, too. And he was just like, especially on a military base, you definitely got taken. And I was just like, OK, sure. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you guys are kind of tripping me out. <laughs> <laughs> They're here. They've always been here.
0: Maybe we'll have to have Jeff guide us through a My Labs episode. That would be really neat. Oh, right? yeah, I would love that.
2: I got some deep info on that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Season five, wink, wink. Maybe we'll see. But uh, one thing I do want to kind of put out there real quick as a promotion for ourselves. Anchor, the place we use to distribute our podcast, now allows people to answer polls that we put on. So what we'll do, if I remember, <laughs> probably not, but if I remember, I will put a poll with this episode. And I think you can only do it on Spotify. So if you're listening to this on another platform and you want to take part in the poll Go over to Spotify if your program that you're listening to it on now does not allow for the polls. Go over to Spotify, answer the poll. The poll will be, do you want to hear an episode about my labs? Boom. That's the first poll that we're ever going to put out for Infinite Rabbit Hole to go along with an episode. What do you think, guys?
1: That excited! And no matter what they <laughs> say, we do it anyway.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we could have 20 no's and we'll still do it because <laughs> we love you guys and we want to give you all the stuff you don't want to hear about too. That's right. Like my labs, like music conspiracies. Anyways, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> I've got, all right. So here's some bullet points that I, that I found very interesting. Before you make up your mind about this story, there is a small amount of other information that I had to dig up myself in order to confirm some of the things said in Ms. Sutton's books that you may want to know. Fort Campbell was roughly 30 miles by road away from the farmhouse and roughly 26 miles by way the crow flies. Miss Sutton Stith included a little tidbit in her book about Fort Campbell that I wanted to confirm be- before including in this episode. And she's right. Fort Campbell is a huge military installation that includes another independent military installation within its borders in the neighboring state of Tennessee, that base being Clarksville Naval Base. But that's not what's fun. That's not what's cool here. What is cool and interesting and directly relates to this story is that Clarksville Naval Base at the time was holding two thirds of the country's nuclear stock. Uh. Could the reason for this area of the country's events of the unknown be attributed to the large nuclear stock at Clarksville Naval base? That's one question I got for you.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say no, because nukes are fake.
0: (laughs) We'll get into that sometime later on too, because I would love to hear how you think that, but anyways, some other interesting tidbits about the area. Here I am controlled opposition. (laughs) (laughs) Controlled opposition. That's right. (laughs) Some other interesting tidbits about the area are in 1955, the population density of Kelly, Kentucky was roughly 50 people per square mile. Could the creatures have chosen this low populated area for a reason? And the area was known for being riddled with old cave systems. There was even an abandoned mining cave just off of the Langford Sutton property during that time. I mean, literally, I, I found the property on Google Maps, found the cave they were talking about, and it's like a football field and a half away. Not far at all. Um, could this have been an area of interest for the Kelly Greenman? Probably the least interesting to myself and personally find this to be more of a coincidence than anything, but I can very well see how others may see more into this. The eclipse of August 21st, 2017, Literally went over the Kelly Hopkinsville area, covering the area in a total eclipse. Hopkinsville put on a four day festival in celebration of the event at the Jefferson Davis State Historic Site. The eclipse happened on the exact 62nd anniversary of the Kelly Greenman event. Again, I think it's just coincidence. Moving on. Last but not least. And I think this is the most important tidbit in this whole segment. The Cherokee natives had a few different legends of small people. Yeah, native lore. <laughs> a few names they went by, if anybody wants to look them up, is Anisaga Yasun, uh, Sunsti and Yunwi Sunsti. The areas that these legends were supposed to have taken up were mostly in the Appalachians, but the legends also extend west enough to cover the entire state of Kentucky completely. Could these creatures from that night be these legends that translate literally to the name Little Men? That's pretty much it. Other than that, I've got some stuff to tie it all up at at the end. Uh, Some other interesting tidbits is today there are many different books, documentaries, and pages on the web that are dedicated to the story. The town of Kelly even has an annual festival in honor of their beloved alien visitors called the Kelly Green Men Days Festival. You can gather info on this festival by visiting kellyky.com or visiting the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Kelly Little Green Men. For the research of this episode, I used... George Dudding's book, The Kelly Hopkinsville UFO and Alien Shootout, Geraldine Sutton Stith's book's Alien Legacy, and The Kelly Green Men Alien Legacy Revisited, and last but not least, one of my absolute favorite cryptozoologists' book, Mysterious America. I don't have anything else, guys. You heard everything that I put out about The Kelly Green Men. So let's get some final thoughts, and let me ask you that one question again. Urban legend or real event? Go. Well, I looked up the website kellyky.com
1: and I'm it was canceled. The festival was canceled for 2021 because of COVID. So I'm definitely <gasps> going to have to go next year. Yeah. And I think that that sounds fun. It does sound fun, doesn't it? Yeah. I like it when a area does a festival like that for something crazy or like all the the gifts or the gift stores in that area like around Uh, New Mexico, they all have, you know, Area 51 type stuff, you know, everything like that. I I love all that sort of stuff.
0: Maybe because Geraldine Sutton Stith, the author and daughter of Lucky, she actually sets up a booth there every year and does book signings and stuff. So maybe we'll actually go talk to her. That'd be cool. That would be cool. This episode
1: blew my mind. I didn't know anything about it going into it, and... Anytime I hear anything about aliens, I'm just like fake. Uh, you <laughs> even need to really hear anything about it. Uh, to already be, have my mind made up that it's fake. There was a lot of conspiracy stuff coming from Jeff.
0: <laughs> uh-uh. and
1: it's funny that he <laughs> knew the he, right away. He's like, Oh yeah, that base and just started busting out all this other stuff about it. Um, I, I don't know. I, uh, still in the same same spot for me jeff
2: really yeah yeah i mean you know i said it already but yeah there's too many uh coincidences which i don't necessarily believe in that make me think that it was all some kind of psyop for pushing the alien narrative or you know I don't know military abductions could have been some sort of mind control MK Ultra stuff like I, there's too many coincidences quote-unquote for me to think that it was just some aliens that showed up that these people started blasting at you know what I mean right especially since when they sent the cops over there they even sent military over there with them so it's like who were those military people were they just some grunts or were they like some people who were in the know that were sent out there just to make sure that the narrative was the way they wanted.
0: You know what I mean? So there, there was some stuff that I did not include in here because I don't like to include information that I can only find from one source. I made an exception in this episode for stuff that was in Mrs. Uh, in Lucky's daughter's books, because of her closeness to the actual event itself. But there were other sources that claimed, or there was another source that claimed that the morning after, one of the reporters noticed that there were Air Force people there and that they had removed something that they laid a tarp over and walked it out. Mm -hmm. But I only found that in one source, so I chose not to put it in my, my findings. Uh, And there was some other smaller slight things coming from sources that were a little obscure that I ended up not using any information from because I just didn't like how vastly different the information was and how nothing in that source uh, matched anything, especially in Lucky's daughter's books. I put a little bit more validity into those books because of her closeness. That's it
2: fair enough yeah i i have to do I, more research into this and i will because this is interesting to me just with all those connections so i'm definitely going to dig into this and maybe in an, another episode i can totally change the fucking subject on you guys and bring it back to this at some point <laughs>
1: <laughs> jeremy i agree with you i don't think that well and like what you said the least interesting thing for you is the uh, uh anniversary of the eclipse i think it was yeah. um i also don't Really, put any weight into that stuff. There's so many blood moons and solar and lunar eclipses that, like, if we did every single one and every single anniversary of every single one, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've taken a dump on an anniversary of a solar eclipse.
0: (laughs) That
1: was meant to be by the celestial beings, then, you know. The celestial Mr.
0: Hanky, right?
1: That's right. (laughs) Well, howdy ho
0: yeah so. the
2: sky clock
0: made me shit <laughs> <It's
2: great.
0: laughs> so that one particular tidbit i i really was on the edge of not including it but it was included in three sources uh that i had found and you know there there are people that put some weight into that so i did include it you know i'm not only trying to present something that just is attractive to us. But I also want to make sure that other people with other interests are also being attracted to the stuff that I'm putting out. Of course, if it's relatable. Um, But I did do some research into that particular tidbit. I looked at when the next complete solar eclipse was due to come to the United States. Uh, It was like in 2023 in May of 2023. Mm -hmm. To see if that path crossed through there again, and it did not it did it was just like 200 miles west. But Mm -hmm. it did not go directly over the Hopkinsville area like the one did in 2017. I mean, that thing went dead over it. And it it, it is a little interesting that it it literally, literally went dead over it. Like Kelly, for it being such a small town, was listed as one of the absolute best places that you can see the totality eclipse that day. And it just happened to be on the exact 62nd anniversary. But then I also looked at the, the eclipses of the past and mm-hmm. to see if there was anything, else, any re- repeating trends. There was not. Uh, so I think that this was completely coincidence. And that's why I said what I did when I said, I don't put a lot of into this. Yeah. So all in all, what do you guys think? Good story? Good story. Good story. I, I like it. Uh, Before I go ahead and close this out, answer the question. Urban legend or real event? Real event with a lot, a lot of
1: either falsehoods or just half-truths, whether that was known or unknown by the people involved in it. Jeff?
2: Real event, but it was a
0: psyop
2: created to push some narrative. (laughs) I love him.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jeff is the next host that's going to present a topic. I just want to give him a chance to go ahead and introduce that to you guys. So, Jeff, what are we talking about next time?
2: Uh, uh, We are going to talk about the man from Venus known as Valiant Thor, who worked alongside Pentagon officials and the president.
0: Ooh. Nice. So we're doing aliens again. Uh, yeah, you could call it aliens. I know nothing. I know he, nothing about Valiant Thor. He's you from Venus, right? Yeah, yeah I will. <laughs> that's all I'm giving you. He, he, he's
2: from Venus, and he was, he was working in D.C. with some officials. That's all you get
0: right now. He's a Venetian. A Venetian. <laughs> <laughs> this story is one of my absolute favorites when it comes to the realms of the unknown. For years, I have enjoyed engulfing all information within reach about the Kelly Green Men and that crazy night in the little farm town of Kelly, Kentucky. Although the events of that night are similar to other stories of the unknown, such as the attack at 8th Canyon and the legend of Boggy Creek, this one is unique due to the creatures themselves and their seemingly innocent approach they took on the farmhouse. I, for one, cannot make up my mind about what I believe when it comes to the story. I believe this is one of those rare events that are either 100% hoax or 100% something did happen. I don't believe this is a case of mistaken identity like many other stories we have gone over in the past. I don't think there were drugs or alcohol involved. Trust me, I did a ton of research into those theories as well and I came up with nothing. I actually came up with more evidence that there was nothing involved. And it actually made me extremely comfortable knowing that there was nothing there. Nope, to me, this is 100% still a mystery, and that's the way I like it. The history and future of the town of Kelly, Kentucky, changed forever the night of August 21st, 1955. What really happened that night? Honestly, we may never know. And until next time, travelers, stay safe, stay alert. And we'll see you at the next path in the infinite rabbit hole. Bye. 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 (laughs) And <laughs>